August 4th, 2020 was the day Beirut exploded. The Blast is a four-part miniseries from Beyond the Headlines. We trace the story of 2,750 tonnes of ammonium nitrate that caused the explosion. We'll track some of the lives lost and changed forever and ask who or what is to blame. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to hear episode one on August 2nd. IT technician facing losing their job over discussing their voting habits at work, or parents barred from homeschooling their children. It sounds pretty dystopian, but activists say a new French law may bring these restrictions into reality. Supporters of the anti-separatism bill say it will strengthen France's commitment to secularism. But those opposing it say the legislation erodes civil liberties and religious freedoms and unfairly targets the Muslim community. On the 23rd of July 2021, the bill was passed into law. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Taylor Heyman, and this week we're looking at whether France's new anti-separatism law is targeting Muslims. Before we start, please make sure to subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get the latest episodes. So what does the anti-separatism law actually entail? French President Emmanuel Macron said the idea behind the legislation was to crack down on foreign influences on France in response to terror attacks in the country. Religious organisations will now need to declare any funding over €10,000 coming in from abroad. Any religious organisation deemed to be promoting violence or hate speech can be closed down by local authorities. The law will build on previous laws that prohibit the wearing of religious symbols or voicing personal political views at work for government workers. These rules will now extend to private contractors working for the government or in the public sector. It will also extend to education, requiring parents who wish to homeschool to be approved by the local authority and give exceptional reasons for doing so. It aims to prevent children from attending unregistered schools that could be run by extremists. Another part of the new law focuses on religious associations. All religious associations must now register and sign a contract agreeing to respect France's secular republican values. Reem Sarah Alwan is a researcher and PhD candidate in comparative law at the University of Toulouse Capital in France. She does not believe this law will survive a constitutional review. The state is basically planning to use association as a conduit uh, for the values it, as a state, wants to promote. Uh, Again, until now, um, if you want to create an association, all you need to do is to declare it to public authorities. I'm trying to make things simple uh, for our audience. Uh, However, this law now will require an authorization from uh, from, uh, public authorities And to obtain funding, for example, associations will have to sign and respect a Republican integration contract. And uh, for example, uh, this contract requires, you know, the people who want to create that association to uphold freedom, human dignity, and public order. Of course, it sounds attractive. Everybody should respect uh, those things, but it is extremely vague 
And there is no definition of what human dignity, for example, uh, of human dignity. And uh, who defines this principle? It's the state unilaterally. So it means that it's so fuzzy that it gives a lot of power to the state uh, to give arbitrary decisions. And for example, if a prefectural authorities, uh, so that's uh, the state at a local level, decides that he or she doesn't like this association or what they stand for, they can prevent this association from being created on the ground that it violates freedom of, or human dignity or public order and so on. Although the government claims the law is not aimed at Muslims, protesters disagree. For example, one particular aspect of the law means any person in France on a residency permit could have it revoked should they be found to be in a polygamous marriage. The rule would apply to some Muslim communities, which allow multiple marriages. The French government's relationship with Islam, and thereby its Muslim population, has been rocky for decades. But a three-day terror attack in 2015, which started at the premises of a satirical magazine in the heart of Paris and left dozens dead, began a slew of legislation aimed at quelling extremism. The attacks on the Charlie Hebdo magazine headquarters and related shootings in Paris were carried out by terrorists who aligned themselves with Al-Qaeda. Witnesses heard the attackers shouting they were gaining revenge for the magazine's caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. In Islam, any depiction of the Prophet is prohibited, and the cartoons drew criticism from many Muslims when published. Later that same year, eight terrorists killed over 120 people at a concert venue, bars and restaurants around Paris in an attack claimed by extremist group ISIS. In October 2020, a schoolteacher was murdered for showing caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad to children in his freedom of expression class. The teacher, Samuel Patti, was beheaded by an 18-year-old Chechen refugee. Once more, France grappled with how to contain and divert people away from extremism. They took moves like the anti-separatism law that faith groups have called heavy-handed. Muslim groups have said the legislation targets all Muslims instead of working to root out extremism. In the media and on social media platforms, people are still questioning whether French ideals and Islamic ideals are inherently at odds with one another. Hakim El Karoui is a senior fellow at the Institut Montaigne and author of the report A French Islam is Possible. He says this idea of a conflict between Islamic and French ideals is simply not true. And the proof is, um, is that the majority of the French Muslims are good French and good, good Muslims, good citizens and good believers. Um, so there is no contradiction. Um, the issue is on the public space and on the public debate. Um, you know, we need more community. We need uh, a more powerful French Muslim community to fight communitarism, to fight political Islam, because we need organization, we need French funding, we need um, an ability to disseminate uh, enlightened theology. Um, but everything is possible in the French context. The issue is that we have to understand that the French society is frightened by Islam. And why? Because of the terrorists and because of the separatism 
of uh, a small minority, but very active and loud minority. This active and loud minority has been responsible for a polarisation in French society. In 2017, Macron easily defeated Marine Le Pen's right-wing National Rally Party. But recent polls indicate she is gaining popularity. Le Pen's party abstained from the vote to pass this new law. In February, she said the law was too weak in fighting Islamic extremists who were against the very fabric of French ideals. But Reem Sarah thinks polarisation is precisely what goes against the values of France. Um, you have to understand that terrorist attacks have impacted the French society since the 90s. Um, and that has led to a reflection on the regulation of religion, which was accelerated in the 2000s. There, will, there is a trend since then to really control the expression of religious visibility and especially the visibility of Islam. And uh, th there, are, there is a whole series of uh, legislation that passed since the 2000s aimed to really neutralize the public expression of religious symbols, symbols in the public square. So in 2004, it was uh, the law, um, you know, prohibiting ostentation, religi ostentatious religious signs in public school. Then it was the ban of the full face covering in 2010. Uh, then it was the extension of religious neutrality in private companies in 2016, uh, a transformation of laicite, which came from a liberal concept to a very illiberal modern interpretation. Uh, and instead, again, of protecting freedom, we are imposing more restrictions. The word laicite that Reem Sarah mentioned is central to this debate. Hakim explains. Laicite, it's all about the fight between uh, the, the, the government, the state, and the church, uh, the Roman church, the Catholicism, uh, but it was a political fight. Second, laicite, it's uh, also uh, the fight between um, rationalism and, and the religion. Laicite has a very special place in French culture. Although many people believe the concept came into being in 1905 with the separation of church and state, Reem Sarah tells us it actually has a much longer history. So the, the French conception of laicite really dates back from 1789, so uh, the, the French Revolution. And already in 1789, the declaration of, uh, of uh, the man and the citizen uh, already guaranteed freedom of belief and the constitution of 1791 recognized freedom of religious observance. Uh, but fast forward, it's in 1882 in the sphere of public education that the concept started to really be implemented. And uh, in France, we consider that schools are the place where you are going to make, to create a future citizen. And to be able to do so, a child needs, a student, a child, need to be, uh, to not be, um, you know, to, to not have religion imposed, to be free from thought. That's how we see it. So in 1882, what happened is we removed religious influence in, at school to replace it with civic education. So the idea was not to go after against religion, all the contrary, actually, 
freedom of religion was guaranteed until, and of course, I fast forward uh, 1905, a very, very important date, uh, where uh, the law on the separation of church and the state passed. In 1905, the law was intended to prevent the influence and interference of the Roman Catholic Church in politics. But the separation of church and state was not meant to erode personal religious freedom. Laicite uh, has been described by some authors uh, as, as a concept that smells like gunpowder. It's a very tricky uh, concept. So uh, laicite is really this idea um, it's a concept regarding the separation of church and state that basically implies um, that the state should not interfere in religious affairs and vice versa, that religious affairs, religion, uh, should not interfere with state affairs. And what does it imply? It essentially implies that neutrality is imposed upon the state the state should uh, not see religion, should not uh, recognize any religion, and should not fund any religion. So it's a very important thing to understand that religious neutrality is, is imposed upon the state and its civil servants, because in France, civil servants uh, represent the state, works on behalf of the state. And in exchange, we protect religious freedom, we protect freedom of conscience, we protect freedom from religion. So you're allowed to believe, not believe, and change religion, and so on. And that's extremely liberal, and uh, it's really a liberal concept that defends the freedom to believe or to not believe. With such a long history, it can often feel that laïcité is essential to the underpinnings of France's motto of liberty, equality, and fraternity. But Reem Sarah says the ideals of French identity do not always match up to the reality. Uh, the modern interpretation of laïcité um, has been quite illiberal. And from a liberal concept, some interpreted this new kind of laïcité as a way to target certain minorities. You have to understand that in France, um, so the first article of our constitution um, declares that France uh, shall be indivisible, like is a democratic and social republic and shall ensure the equality of all citizens before the law without distinction of, region, of origin, race or religion. And it shall respect all beliefs. Um, we do not recognize such thing as race. We are what we call a colorblind nation that abide by universalist principles. We don't recognize you because, you know, uh, of you know your skin color or your origin or your ethnicity or whatsoever. We recognize and protect you because you're human. Except the theory is great, but uh, the practice is a bit different because we do have issues of racism in this country and discrimination. Much has been written about racism in France, but there are no records or statistics kept in regards to race or ethnicity. Although country of origin is noted on the census, there are no reports on what percentage of people from different races hold jobs in the public or private sector and at what level. There are no reports on whether discrimination affects people in the workforce, in dealings with the police, or elsewhere. The reasoning behind this, Reem Sarah points out, is idealistic. 
the French ideal is one where race has no relevance. Hakim explains. We, we dream of equality in France. Uh, we don't have equality. Uh, success is, uh, is, is silent and failure is loud. Because we, f- we forget the origin of the people when they succeed. Um, but of course, it's not only a question of uh, religions, it's about uh, race, class, uh, and, and the past, the perception we have uh, of the people coming from uh, the former French empire, for example. So it's, uh, it's the French paradox, the highest level of intermarriage of the Western world, and the highest level of uh, far right. This contradiction exists in a country in which a large part of its ethnic minority come from former colonies. Reem Sarah thinks this history has a big impact on current debates. We have a very, at least compared to our uh, European neighbours, I think we have a very unique relation uh, with our Muslim population um, due to our history and due to our colonial uh, past. Islam and Muslims have always often been perceived as a group of people, as a religion that could not be quote unquote integrated, as a religion that needs to be tamed. And that really dates back from the colonial period. Uh, You need to tame Muslims because they cannot be fully citizens because their very Muslimness prevent them from becoming citizens. Since again, the 90s, and there is a growing anxiety vis-a-vis Islam and all of those conspiracy theories about, you know, the so-called Islamization of Europe, the so-called great replacement, which is a a ultra-right white supremacist conspiracy theory that unfortunately have inspired many white supremacist terrorists, that really the Muslims are taking over. So, uh, of course, this will impact public policy. And if you look at the debate, uh, we went from we are going to try to find a way to tackle radicalization to we need to prohibit the headscarf for Muslim women who uh, are volunteering polling stations or Muslim women who wear a burkini or Muslim women who uh, work in a private company, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always about this visibility. And let me tell you something. It's, it's very interesting because in the end, uh, we often accuse Muslims to not be integrated to French society. But the thing is, the more they obviously integrate, the more they are secure enough to even display their Muslimness because they feel comfortable in expressing such, um, you know, uh, who they are. We accuse them of being separatists just because they call it discrimination. Uh, We call them separatists because they dare to express who they are. And, and I think it's really a French paradox because we are supposed to be the country of liberty, equality, and fraternity, and yet, we still deem that there is a part of our population that should not be part of this country, even though French Muslims have always been part of the fabric of this nation. As France moves towards another election in 2022, these debates will continue.
Will Marine Le Pen appeal to the majority of the French population? Will promises of harsh reforms allay fears of more terror attacks? Or will this new legislation bring about change? The aim of the law is not to change the situation. It's, uh, it's much more to, to, to say to the population, OK, uh, we know that you fear this population and we are, we are with you, even if we know that the law will not change anything. It's not only the right-wing parties, it's uh, all the political chessboard. Hakim believes the answer to this problem can only come from within the Muslim population itself. We have to do the same things. Um, so we have to, I mean, the, the French Muslims, they have to, to help producing contents um, to, uh, to, to help key imams, uh, enlightened imams, to become uh, well-known. Um, we need moderators uh, to be able to discuss with the Salafi or the, the young people attracted by the Muslim Brotherhood to help them to understand that Islam is not always um, uh, the interpretation of the, of the Salafi uh, or uh, the Salafi or the Muslim Brotherhood. We need web series. We need, I mean, a lot of contents and we need, we need a strategy uh, to disseminate these contents. Reem Sarah, however, thinks the responsibility falls on the government to tackle the issue effectively without pinning the blame on minority groups. You know, the government is supposed to be effective, except that to, we respond to these attacks with emotions and not with, in a rational way. So, of course, instead of really tackling the deep issues of terrorism and radicalization, we use a certain group of people as scapegoats and uh, to show that they are doing something, they are going to pass legislation. So instead of really trying to find a vaccine to a disease, we just put Band-Aid upon Band-Aids. Uh, they definitely need to, uh, to, to really fight those social and economics um, issues through policies that would really fight discrimination and so on. And really, they need to focus on the terrorists and not on the people who are just trying to live their lives. You want to go after terrorists, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> Don't forget that Muslims are victims twice. They are being killed by terrorists, but they are also the victim of the policies that are going to target them because they are de facto suspects. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Taylor Heyman. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you have time to leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks this week to Reem Sarah Alwan and Hakim Al-Karoui. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison, Rachel Graham and Aisha Khan, with additional assistance from Katerina Holtzapple, Colin Randall and Chitra Banu Kadayam. <laughs>